everyone, Alana here, and it's been a lot of fun making this podcast. I get to talk about what I love, meet some really cool people doing it, and I have total creative freedom. Are you interested in making your own podcast? Go for it, and go for it with Anchor. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more platforms. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And best of all, it's free. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hi again, everybody. As usual, I hope you're doing well, and of course, watching lots of movies. I am so excited for today's episode. I'm already singing. (laughs) I'm very excited for today's episode because we are talking about one of my favorite, favorite genres ever. Drum roll, please. The movie musical. It is probably one of the oldest movie genres out there. When you think of the first sound film in Hollywood, 1927's The Jazz Singer being a movie musical. But... Along with its predecessor, the stage musical, people seem to continuously make fun of it, not really take it seriously, or claim that there aren't any movie musicals that are really good movies. I do also think that people believe it's really just for a niche audience. So how can a genre that's so ostracized be so important to the movie world? And if so, has its importance changed over the years? My answer is, yes, it's absolutely important to the movie world. And I would say in many good ways, yes, it has changed. I think the one way it hasn't changed is its structure because musicals are very similar to horror films and action films in that it provides a very strict structure that can breed incredible storytelling ideas and voices behind that. And there are musicals that throughout time have really pushed not only pop culture, but filmmaking further. So today we are going to look at three of those movie musicals that have done so, Singing in the Rain, Moulin Rouge, and the filmed Broadway version of Hamilton, to tell all you lovely listeners what an important genre this is to film history. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain, what a glorious feel, and I'm happy again. I'm just in painting dirt, and though I mustn't glow, that the moon I rouge, you'll have found Just in What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. So, of course, we're starting with the original granddaddy of movie musicals, which is 1952 Singing in the Rain, or Singin' in the Rain, technically speaking. 
And for those of you who haven't seen it, a very general overview is that it's about the transition from silent films to talkies and some of the different actors and directors and filmmakers that make that transition. And this movie came out just a few years after one of the rougher periods of U.S. history, the Great Depression in the 30s and World War II in the 1940s. And it's safe to say that right after those really intense periods of history, people wanted something they could hold on to and something they recognized. But as Lindsay Barr in The Atlantic wrote in 2011, comparing Singing in the Rain to 2011's The Artist, Singing in the Rain delivered a sophisticated take on a tremendous transition in movie making that happened decades before its release. But unlike the recent Oscars slate of history fetishizing films, The Artist, Hugo, and Midnight in Paris among them, it didn't romanticize the past, but rather voyaged happily forward. And I think that's a very interesting and important thing to note about the film. A note about the article, it, it does take the stance that in 1952, People weren't really longing for the days of yesteryear because the yesteryear was the Great Depression and World War II, which is a good point. But I do think, much like today, people were probably still nostalgic for the happier parts of their past they remember and the parts of their past that are probably happier because it's the past. That could also just be a very millennial, nostalgia-driven perspective on that. But But the film is important in that it shows a way of moving forward and it showed a way of moving forward a at a time when people probably didn't really know how to and b in a way that's approachable and fun and anyone can watch it you know every moment of doubt in that movie is met with some sort of solution or problem solving or song and dance or sometimes a problem solving song and dance and it's just a great movie about how the show that is life must go on and we'll all be better for it and side note even if you're not super into musicals this has one of the great comedic performances by a woman in movie history Jean Hagen plays this actor Lena Lamont who is a film star that's having a very hard time transitioning from silent films to talkies mostly because of her high-pitched voice not only is she just so damn funny in the film but I do really appreciate how her character doesn't see what's wrong with her she continuously says what's wrong with my voice do I sound dumb or something and without spoiling too much there are parts in the movie where she really does use her brain and stump the men so I really love how her character is maybe the quote-unquote villain but she's smart and she's funny and she most importantly stands up for herself in this room of people that are telling her she's irrelevant. So even if you don't want to watch it for the historical elements or the movie musical elements, I highly recommend you watch it for Gene Hagen's performance. But tonight I'm going to do my own talking. I'm going to make the speech. No, no, you can't do it. Wait a minute, Rod, wait a minute. This is Lena's big night, and she's entitled to do the talking. Right? Right. right. And now we move on to a film that I will try very, very hard not to spend the entire episode talking about, but 
It's just one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. We are, of course, talking about the iconic 2001 movie, Moulin Rouge, written and directed by Baz Luhrmann. And I remember when this movie came out, I was about 11 or 12, and my older sister was old enough to have gone to see the movie with a couple of friends. And she said... When she and her friends left the theater, half the people were crying and so moved and they loved it. And the other half of the theater, I kid you not, came out and said that was the craziest, most ridiculous piece of crap they ever saw in their life. So I acknowledge that this is a love it or hate movie. Then again, I am on the love side of this film. And I think one of the reasons it elicited such a strong reaction when it first came out is because of its crazy editing techniques and we hadn't really seen a jukebox musical before that and just how frenetic the story is. And compared to Singing in the Rain, the musical numbers aren't these vaudeville-style, familiar, wonderful, just light, jazzy numbers. They're very visceral experiences and... You know, because it's a jukebox musical, you're trying to figure out what song is coming in when, and it just moves at such a breakneck speed that it's not really a cozy musical in that way. An interesting note about this film, I can't remember which article talked about this. When I find it, I'll put it in the description below, but there was an author who talked about how because the movie takes a lot of influence from Bollywood movies, specifically Bollywood musicals. A lot of non-South Asian American audiences who didn't grow up watching Bollywood movies or have never seen a Bollywood movie in their life were so unfamiliar with the pacing and the over-exaggerated style and the heightened emotions and the multiple plot lines going on and Especially as someone who started watching Bollywood musicals in their early 20s, the way that Bollywood films shift tones, it goes from goofy comedy to really dramatic love story to to high intensity thriller. A lot of non-South Asian audiences were very unused to that and they just couldn't get behind it. It's a very interesting article. I think one thing that people have gone on to discover almost 20 years after the movie has come out now is that there is really a lot of artistic merit to this film. And I think one of the biggest aspects of that is the storyline of how people can find healing through art. It's a spoiler, but it's not a spoiler because they mention it. I kid you not within the first five minutes of this film. The lovers are doomed. Nicole Kidman dies. I promise that's not a spoiler. Ewan McGregor will say it within the first five minutes of the film. But the film, while it's about this doomed love story, it's also about how processing your trauma through art can be an incredibly powerful and healing experience. Zoe Thomas wrote this really great article in Film School Rejects about the film, and she says, even in a fictional world or reality, Art has the incredible ability to allow people to express themselves. Through this expression, art can give someone the freedom they need to process the darker emotions they face. Moulin Rouge isn't just a love story, but a story of learning to heal and adapt from the situations where it seems impossible. I think it's very true not just for the story within the film, but also 
the way you go through Christian, Ewan McGregor's character, his emotional journey. You know, I think just going through all of those highs and lows and really processing the loss along with him. There's probably a bunch of stuff that I subconsciously process through this movie in between the can-can numbers. And I think even just seeing, even if you're not maybe feeling it with the main character, even just seeing them go through this hard time and come out the other end of it, I think is a really hopeful message and hopeful example to give people who are watching this. I know that as an actor and a filmmaker, not only have I cried many, many times while watching this movie, I kid you not, my boyfriend or anyone I know can attest to this, that I've seen this movie probably 20 times and I still cry like a baby every time at the end. But I also really relate to how one can use art to really process things that they may not be able to process in the moment. I can't tell you how great it feels to do a scene or write a scene and make something that feels like you have a little bit more understanding of whatever it is you go through. And I think Moulin Rouge does a great job of showing that both in the story and the little visual details that it peppers throughout the film. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. The only way of loving me, baby, is to pay a lovely fee. Just one night, just one night. There's no way, cause you can't pay. In the name of love. I also think another way that people and film critics are looking at this film and realizing how ahead of its time it was is how the movie was made. There was a great Decider article that brings up two big things. One aspect of the film that was very modern for its time were how quick the cuts were. And the author, Megan O'Keefe, writes, let's start with the film's overwhelming amount of quick cuts. Lerman's frenetic film edits were designed to do a lot in a short amount of time. They got us up to speed on the major players, established tone, and provide a number of rapid-fire laughs. In 2001, this was a lot for some people to handle. In 2016, we're accustomed to digesting a lot of information in quick flashes. It's how we consume social media. Hello, Vine and Snapchat. But it's also a style that has invaded our action films and comedies. A specific example? Look at the work of celebrated comedy auteur Edgar Wright, like Lerman, Wright is fond of using quick cuts and pop culture references to build his cinematic world. The Technicolor Wonderland of Moulin Rouge is seen again in full force with Wright's beloved cult classic, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. The article also argues that it predicted the obsession with jukebox musical TV series like Glee and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, but it's an interesting question to think about whether it predicted it or because over time it became such a popular and well-loved movie, and it was lauded in its time with, you know, Oscars, nominations, and all of that. But it is interesting to try and suss out, did Moulin Rouge predict the obsession with jukebox musical content? Things like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist or Glee? Or was it because it was popular enough that it made people see that jukebox musicals were a good idea. So it encouraged, you know, the creators of shows like Glee and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist to go ahead and try and do that in a TV show. 
And not only did it influence what we watch on our screen, but it really influenced Broadway too. When you look at something like Hamilton, where in the book of Hamilton, it describes Alexander Hamilton as Eminem meets Sweeney Todd. It's pretty clear to see that Hamilton was inspired by Moulin Rouge's very specific approach to use modern songs to tell a classic period story. He's constantly confusing, confounding the British henchmen. Everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman! I'm taking this horse, man, the rain's making red coats, weather with blood stains. And I'm never gonna stop until I make a jump up and I'm up and scatter the remains down. Watch me engage in them, escaping them, and raging them out. I go to France for more fun. I come back with more guns and ships. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a great segue into our final movie musical that we are talking about today, which is, of course, this year's Hamilton. And I do want to acknowledge the slight difference that it is, in fact, a filmed version of a stage musical rather than a musical made for the film medium. But the reason I included it is is because probably about 90% of people who have seen Hamilton got to see it this way because it was next to impossible to get tickets when it was on Broadway. So for our purposes, we're going to consider it a movie musical. And I think what makes this such a revolutionary musical is, first of all, trying to condense really complex historical events into a musical or any sort of narrative story at all is just a really difficult task. I mean, just look at something like Avida or Assassins. And especially with the amount of detail that went into Hamilton, just for some context, the story of Hamilton or the book of the musical Hamilton was based off of Ron Chernow's book about Alexander Hamilton, which is a solid, I think like 800, 900 pages or something insane like that. And even just going over the lyrics, you see just how much historical content and insight is provided just in the lyrics and the sequence of events. It's really just, I don't know how he did it, honestly. (laughs) So yeah, just, you know, condensing everything into a two hour, 40 minute musical, which does kind of move at that breakneck pace that Moulin Rouge did. I think is just really fantastic. And I do think the way that it kind of revolutionized the movie musical is we can now have a different idea of what a movie musical is. Before this, really, there were only a couple of filmed Broadway musicals that I could think of, Cats being one of them. Um, I think there were maybe like a couple filmed versions of Les Miserables or something, but it wasn't commonplace to put a big successful musical on film. But what's so great about putting this on film, especially Hamilton, is that a musical like this now isn't just reserved for not even just the Broadway files of the world, but the Broadway lovers that can, you know, afford to either get on a train or even a plane and buy the ticket and pay for all the food and lodging and, you know, basically fork over crazy amounts of money to go see the show. Now, if you or someone you know has a Disney Plus account, anyone and everyone can see this. And I don't think it's important just in the historical context of, oh, people can really learn lessons from this about American history and how our government started, et cetera, et cetera. But even just for, you know, the kids out there that want to be in Broadway, but they can't go to NYU or they can't get that internship with a Broadway theater or something like that, you know, they can 
learn from this. They can learn about the craft of Broadway of a Broadway musical, which I think is really wonderful. And what was really interesting about this as well is that Hamilton was in fact meant to go into theaters. The filmed version was supposed to be presented as a movie theater experience, but now because of quarantine and you know most movie theaters still being closed, they decided to put it on Disney Plus instead. And what's interesting is that most streamers are pretty mum about um, what their numbers are in terms of how many people watched it, but it is estimated that around 2.7 million households stream the recorded version of the Hamilton between July 3rd and July 13th. So within 10 days, 2.7 million households. And if that's four to five people per household, that's going to be around eight to 10 million people watched Hamilton in the first two weeks. And I think that's really incredible because to me, something that's really important about making art isn't just getting eyes on it for the sake of getting eyes on it and having it be this big phenomenon, but it is about, you know, reaching audiences and reaching audiences that you wouldn't expect before and seeing what they can learn from it. So so I hope that this movement of making quality filmed versions of Broadway musicals becomes the next phase of the movie musical that we see in the years to come once everything opens up again. That's our episode. Okay, I'm going to stop singing through this episode. I will leave that to the experts. But that was a lot of fun. I do think that it's hard for me to talk about movie musicals without getting super excited and impassioned because there is something about them that while they're very structured and they, you know, definitely follow certain conventions and beats, there's something just very emotionally grounded in them. And they come from such a place of passion. It's that idea that... You know, if words simply can't express how you feel, you just sing it out because music allows you to express this higher plane or deeper depth of emotion. I guess what I would like to leave the audience with is even if you don't agree with the argument of movie musicals being important to the larger world, I leave you with a quote from Singing in the Rain's Lena Lamont. If we bring a little joy into your humdrum lives, it makes us feel as though our hard work ain't in vain for nothing. Bless you all, and bless you all, wonderful listeners. That's it for this week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep watching movies. See you next time. Lies in you, but remember from here on in, history has its eyes on you. History has its Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. A very special thanks to our Patreon supporters, John F., Variolo Fencing, LLC, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz, and our logo design is by Mark Sauvé. Thanks again. See you next time. Girl
the prices, pray.